Black at Wharton. 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 I'm Shawnice Davis. And I'm Rotimi Fadia. We are second year MBA students and the hosts of Black at Wharton, the podcast. On this podcast, you will hear from MBA students, prominent faculty, and professionals across a variety of industries, each sharing their insights on the MBA experience and professional life. So you might be asking yourself, who is this podcast for? Students, alum, business professionals, thought leaders? The simple answer is yes. With our wide-ranging season, we will have a little something for everyone. Think of us as a digital archive for all things happening in and around our community. Because Blackout Wharton is more than just a name. It's a coalition of student groups. It's a network of Black professionals. It's home. This is Blackout Wharton. The podcast. What was the thing you were most anticipating or looking forward to? Ooh, um, swag surfing with my classmates. <laughs> Welcome back. The Black at Wharton crew has taken a little time away because, well, we are students after all. But we're back now and ready for part two of our inaugural season. We have exciting news and incredible guests lined up. More on that at the end of the show. This episode, we will continue where we left off, the Whitney and Young Conference. Each year, Black at Wharton organizes a conference of two days dedicated to highlighting Black professionals who have built on Whitney and Young's legacy and celebrate the amazing strides we continue to make in both the private and public sectors. As the longest running student-led conference at Wharton, Whitney and Young is one of the most anticipated events within the Black community. But we're going to do things a little differently. We'll be taking you behind the scenes to hear live interviews from attendees like an alum who was here at the very beginning of AMPA, to some of the incredible conference speakers that left us shook and inspired. Join us as we continue our journey of discovering the beautiful Black at Wharton Network with a focus on conscious capital, how a community of innovators can make magic together. What was the thing you were most anticipating or looking forward to? Ooh, um, swag surfing with my classmates. <laughs> my name is Kenyatta Sasha Duncan, and I graduated this year, 2022, from Wharton. First of all, I'm really happy to be here. I was looking forward to this for months, to just come back and spend time with classmates, walk up and down Walnut again, be in Huntsman Hall. Like, I really honestly missed Wharton, um, especially the community here. and. The fact that I could walk a few blocks and see friends and then go to a coffee chat and then have a dinner talking about world affairs. Like there are just so many opportunities, I think, you know, while getting my MBA to expand my intellectual curiosity while here and learn and grow. And so I was really excited to come back. What was the thing you were most anticipating or looking forward to? Ooh, um, swag surfing with my classmates. <laughs> just having a good time and just being in the moment and being present. I'll say the most memorable part for me was the small business series. So last year was the inaugural year and I had the privilege of working on helping to build what that structure would look like. And I also helped to go through different applications with the team. We had a team of about four people. And it was honestly an honor to contribute back to the community that's given us so much. And coming back this year, seeing how it's 
continued and expanded. It just warmed my heart in so many ways. And it was awesome hearing from the, the three winners as well, like what $10,000 will do to bolster their business and how that's going to contribute to their future growth. My name is Stephanie Threet, and I am the owner and curator of Ceramic Concept, which is based here in West Philly at 5015 Baltimore Avenue. I'm actually here at the Whitney M. Young Conference because I am a recipient of the small business competition where I won $10,000 to help me further my business. So Ceramic Concept is a retail, retail gallery space that's based in West Philly where I sell works by artists of color, women, and local artists. I have a little over 200 artists that I carry currently in the space, but since we've been open in the last two years, I've worked with over 350 artists. So what it does is it provides an opportunity, sometimes as a first opportunity for many artists to, to have a venue to sell their work, but it also provides income and livelihood for many artists. Um, so it puts their work in and showcases it in a way that is very accessible to people and also gives them lots of opportunities to advance in other ways in the field. The award is basically gonna <laughs> allow me to get a new sign for the business, but it also is gonna help me put some money into the pockets of other black and brown makers. So I actually am working on trying to get a new round of artists of color into the shop. Tell us what your favorite part of the conference was. I mean, outside of winning $10,000. So yesterday I got to listen to the keynote speaker, Michael Blake. He gave a very compelling speech yesterday. And I had a lot of takeaways from that. But one of my key takeaways from that was about like really thinking about my why and why I'm doing this. And to remember that sort of like in the hard times of my business. Thank you so much, Michael Blake, for taking the time to speak with us this morning. Would you be able to provide us just a brief introduction about yourself? I'm a kid from the Bronx, New York. That's what I always describe myself as, because that's who I am, you know, Jamaican heritage. My mama raised four boys, worked in a manufacturing plant for 40 years. My, uh, my late dad uh, was a janitor at St. Barnabas Hospital, Union Man. Uh, I went, went to PS 79-118 Dewa Clinton High School uh, and then Northwestern University. And I've always had the passion around politics, around journalism, had the passion around you know, ministry. Uh, and so as my mom teased me that I would be one of those three things, but I guess in the Jamaican way, I, I had all three jobs and I became all three. So, you know, my vision of everything I'm trying to do is how to help our people have equity and justice at scale. Having the honor of working for President Obama for more than six years and being an elected official in New York as an assemblyman for six years, vice chair for the Democratic National Committee for four. You know, now I'm wholesale taking it back to where I started. So I'm honored to be the president of the first Black-owned national sports TV network in the country at Next Level Sports Entertainment. I'm founder and CEO of a company for nine years of Atlas Strategy Group, where we help entrepreneurs of color who provide smart city solutions at scale. Uh, while still being very engaged in philanthropic and political spaces. And so, you know, my, my end goal uh, when it's all said and done is how do we bring equity for our people? And if I am able to do that, then I have achieved what I believe is my purpose here. What inspired your work in community advocacy? What were the key moments or highlights in your career that 
kind of confirmed that interest? Well, I think, you know, my, the upbringing of my mom, you know, and, and where she would tell the stories of how she slept on church pews in Jamaica and overcame homelessness, or my dad who wanted to be a cop in Jamaica you know, and come back to the States and continue to do that, uh, but, you know, had to make the decisions of, of, of working uh, and, and doing maintenance and sanitation. And so when you see that, when you see that you're selling dinners to pay rent on Saturday afternoons, uh, when you um, reflect on the fact that I grew up in the 10453 zip code and, and regularly you're, you're being told that, you know, good things are not going to happen for people in those communities. And so, uh, you know, the journey led me here. It led me to a desire to want to help people. I wrote out something as part of the Freshman Emerging Leaders Program at Northwestern. It said, dear God, may today be my greatest day, greater than the great day I had a day before, but my goal has not been met unless tomorrow is the greatest of them all. And so, you know, that, that's what brings me to this space. When I think about what's happening at Wharton, when I think about, you know, the black excellence at Wharton, and I know it well, my, my chief of staff is a UPenn alum, got a lot of my friends around me that are Wharton alum as well. You know, it, it's hopefully showing that you can have conscious capitalism. You can focus on being very successful in business while also be successful in your community. You can do good and do well at the same time. And when I think about where I came from, you know, I try to make it very simple. I'm tired of our people being poor. I'm tired of our people always having less than. Uh, and in order for us to change that, we have to be in the positions to transform that. And so that's the reason why I focused on minority women-owned businesses when I was at the White House and, and, and changing the policies around federal procurement to make it easier, greatest access that ever happened, the greatest increase happened in the history of the country. You know, uh, being a co-sponsor in the bill for a five-year extension of minority women businesses here in New York State. You know, the author of the bill that was signed into law so that businesses that contract with New York State less than 300 employees get paid in 15 days to the 30 days. Started the Urban Entrepreneurship Summit Series at the White House, went to eight cities across the country to amplify that. Uh, now advising the FinTech Future Coalition so we can get greater access to capital to our businesses all across the country. So at the end of the day, my journey led me here. And, and I fundamentally believe if we transform the economics in our communities, you transform the equity in our communities. And so, you know, the, 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 the journey of the Bronx, it may be a different location, a different zip code from someone else, but the experiences are quite similar and we have a responsibility to help others to advance as well. I love so much of what you said there. I think one of the things that resonated with me most is this concept of conscious capital that you mentioned and creating economic opportunities for our people. And I think what, what resonates with me there is the fact that you can do both at the same time and you've shown that to be the case. Absolutely, racism and sexism and, and, and all things that are institutionalized are fundamental reasons why we haven't had a chance to get in the game. And so oh, if I can be a part of the effort to help our visionaries at Warren through the Whitney Young Conference, say, you know what? There's ways that you can increase your capital. There's ways you can transform the game. There's ways you can say to people that your block won't block your blessing. Your zip code won't deny your destiny. Dream big dreams. Our next guest is Ms. Khadija Robinson. She's a Spelman grad. She has her MSc from the University College London and her JD from Harvard Law School. 
While she was working as an attorney, Khadija founded The Nihilist, a digital platform that connects consumers to Black-owned brands. Eventually, Sean Diddy Combs would acquire her company through Combs Enterprises, and from there she went on to be the CEO of Empower Global. Empower Global is a digital marketplace designed to elevate the Black economy by creating opportunities for Black entrepreneurs to build and scale successful businesses for everyone to shop Black daily. My own business did not come to mind until well after I had already started it. I just didn't realize that what I was doing was a business. But I knew from the moment that I stepped foot in my law firm that I could not do that long term. I did not enjoy being a lawyer at all. And I was looking around at the partners like, well, y'all really seem to enjoy this either. So I don't want to do that. I don't want to set my sights on being where you are if you don't even look like you want to be where you are. I just didn't know what I was gonna do. I will say corporate America was definitely a big wake up from the, the student life and the life that I had lived previously where I was always able to really find that black community that could keep me somewhat sane and whole. It was so different. And especially when you compound it with seeing us in the criminal justice system, and really seeing up close and personal what that means. Like I knew it theoretically, but sitting in the courtroom when I went to go do my clerkship, I was like, oh wow, oh yeah, this is crazy. It was so eye-opening. So yes, that's, that's when the, the business started to creep into my life. It was a hobby. It was something I was doing to de-stress. So I had this plan. You know, I decided what school I was going to when I was eight. So I, like, I was a person with a plan. And I had this plan that I was gonna work at the law firm, I was gonna clerk district court level, I was gonna get this experience seeing trials, being in court, then I was gonna go to a U.S. Attorney's Office and I was gonna be in the courtroom all the time. I actually did enjoy the courtroom and the trial aspect of being a lawyer. So I'm like, oh, I'm gonna be on my feet all the time in court, it's gonna be great. And then I got into this clerkship and I was like, oh, this is racist as hell. <laughs> like, all day OD races, <laughs> like this is not like a, I had this thought that I was gonna be what a, I think a lot of black prosecutors think that they can be, which is this change agent from inside. And afterwards, uh, I had a conversation with one of my law school classmates about it and I was like, this system is like a computer system and changing a button does not change the input into the system. If I take the, if I take a keyboard, I take the W off and I replace it with R, when I hit that, it still inputs W. It doesn't input anything else just because I changed the face. It is the way that the system is built and it's the way that it's supposed to function. And it is built on racism, period. And I was so stressed out. I was one of five black clerks in the entire courthouse. I was, the only black clerk that my judge had ever had, and my judge wasn't black. So the other clerks in my chambers didn't know what I was going through. My judge didn't understand. But I'm like, this, that person, like my uncle, my actual dad's brother was in jail at the same time. So I'm like, I mean, that could be my uncle right there. Y'all name a family member that you have that's in, in jail or in prison. And my white co-clerks were like, you know? <laughs> You know? And that was the only case case I ever saw with a white defendant was 
some government contracts fraud. Everybody else was black. And in DC, you get people at, at different levels because of how the court system is structured. So we saw so many black defendants. And to de-stress, I started building a random Google spreadsheet of black owned businesses that I was gonna shop with. Cause I'm like, I'll do what I can do in the courtroom when the black defendants come in. And I gotta do what I can do outside of the courtroom because it's like, we fight for our lives out here. And if the only thing that I could do is like take my dollar and spend it at a black business with a black entrepreneur, as opposed to somewhere else, then I'll do that. So I just started researching black owned businesses in my spare time. like. Where do I want to shop? What things do I like to buy? I'm going to find black brands that sell those things. And then it became an obsession and I'm very type A. So I'm like, oh, are they veteran owned? Let me make a column for that. <laughs> like, you know, let me find all of the retailers that I could find this particular brand in. And I got so intricate. And then I built this spreadsheet to like 700-ish businesses and had all my family and friends hit me up like, oh, do you have somebody on your spreadsheet that sells bathing suits? I'm like, I'm not y'all's personal shopper. <laughs> but I realized in that process that people were interested, that other people in my network wanted to buy black and didn't have the time to be going doing deep dives on the internet like I was. But when given that information, they were like so excited about it. And so, I started working on a website for the, this, my spreadsheet really. And even then I didn't think about it as a business. I was like, I'm gonna put the spreadsheet information on the website and you can search there and you don't have to call me. You don't have to text me. My phone is now free. It's gonna be great. Um, and it just sort of went from there and became something that I had not ever imagined when I was just like doing my spreadsheet, you know, on the weekends when I was needing to decompress from law life. When did you begin to see this as a business opportunity? It was talking to my community where people are like, okay, you're doing all this for free, just like in your spare time, girl, what are you doing? You need to do something else with this. And I was like, okay, I see more possibilities, especially as I started meeting more black entrepreneurs. I started going to pop-ups and conferences and actually talking to black entrepreneurs and the founders of these different brands that I had started following online. And it was really like, interacting with other people who were already pushing forward as entrepreneurs that made me go like, oh, okay, this can be something else and I can potentially scale it into something that can really have an impact outside of just helping people find black businesses to shop with. So I launched our platform in, on March 1st, 2020 which was like the craziest timing that I, I, again, had no idea what I was in for. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I launched March 1st, 2020, and it has been like the craziest whirlwind from there, especially because I wanted it to be very accessible to anybody who came across the site. So I focused only on e-commerce based black owned brands. So all of the brands that were on the platform, the Nihilist, you could shop with online. And I had no idea that like, that's all everybody was gonna be doing in less than a month. What advice would you give new founders? Be selective with your time. It is your number one asset. There's so many things that only you can do for your business and you do not have time to waste 
And unfortunately, that means that you have to say no to things that you might even want to say yes to, but it's just not the best use of your time. And that doesn't mean that you're filling that time with, you know, necessarily like some other big thing. Like if I don't say yes, if I say no to this pitch competition, then I, then that means I'm saying no, no, because I'm saying yes to this pitch competition. Sometimes it means you say no to both of those pitch competitions so you can go to sleep. So like relax, do your best. And even if it is not, even if you don't walk away first place, you never know from the no, what yes may come. So like, don't get that discouraged. You, if you're an entrepreneur, you'll be doing a lot of pitches, you'll be hearing a lot of no's. You will get the yeses that you need that will take you where you need to go. My name is Donna Johns and I am a Wharton grad what year did you start at Wharton and what year did you graduate? I started in 1972 and graduated in 1974. I was one of these people that went straight from undergraduate school into graduate school. I highly recommend, if you can, to get some work experience before you come because um, you have some real applications within you and experiences as you do your learning and it's more beneficial. How do you like the conference so far? I love it. It's very warm. It's cozy and informative. I've learned a lot just listening to people that have been keynotes and also in, in the panels. It lets me know that we're everywhere as usual and ready for every opportunity that opens up regardless of what barriers may be there. What advice do you have to students who are at Wharton currently? Set goals and objectives, have a strategy for your life, and work at that. The thing that helps keep you on track, I believe, are number one, having a set of morals and values that guide you. Mine basically come from Christianity, and I find that that helps me in every situation. The second thing is to actually do the work. So you have to sit down and write out a plan for yourself and work the plan. I actually did that. I learned how to do that on a personal level through a training that I took called One Life to Live. And I've been living off of that plan most of my life. It included looking at every aspect of my life and having a plan for it, setting goals and, and measuring them. Now I haven't get, gotten everything done in five years. It was bigger than that. But it helped me stay on track. It helped me to decide when I was gonna use my time and where I was gonna use my time or reevaluate if I wanted to change the direction I wanted to go. So it, it made me take a look at life and recognize that it was precious and you know you don't get any day back so it added value to how I treated both people and, and myself and the things that I did. The Whitney M. Young Conference highlighted the importance of celebrating black innovation from the brilliant keynote speakers and panelists to the alumni that continue to show Wharton love, the conference is about connecting the community. Because no one person can save the world alone. We have to do it together. 
Thanks to everyone who contributed to today's episode with live interviews, alums Kenyatta Sasha Duncan and Miss Donna Jones, keynote speakers Michael Blake and Khadija Robinson, and my co-hosts Rotimi Fadia and Holly Abraham. Holly is the team's newest member and will be taking the podcast baton after Rotimi and I graduate. You'll be getting a proper introduction to Holly on the next episode. Speaking of, our next episode is going to be a special one created for Black History Month. The theme is Black Futurism, and we will discuss the importance of not only looking back to celebrate where we've been, but also looking forward to shape a world of equity and justice. In the words of Michael Blake, dream big. This episode of the Black at Wharton podcast was produced by co-hosts Chanice Davis, Rotimi Fadia, and Holly Abraham, and it was edited by me, Chanice.